Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. Awesome. Part two of our series, Prodigal. Uh, and the title of the message, if you're taking notes, is Where is God? Where is God? Not as if God were Waldo, but where is God? Um, we're teaching from a short story Jesus shared when religious leaders challenged him. They came to challenge him because Jesus was hanging out with sinners. Jesus was having dinners and parties and conversations with people who at the time were not considered good enough to be around religious people, to be around people of God. If you were a prophet for real, he would know who those people are. Why is he hanging out with sinners? Not only that, Jesus pursued a relationship with these people. And that really made the religious leaders mad. Because they thought, he's breaking the law. He's, 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 uh, he's hanging out with people who are unclean. So to make his point, Jesus shared a series of parables. He shared three parables back to back. And if you're a church person, you know these parables. You've heard of them. But if you're not, here's the basic summary of them. The point that Jesus was trying to make is that God cares for the lost. God cares for those who are not near him. And so Jesus begins to share a parable about a shepherd who lost a sheep. And he says that this shepherd had a hundred sheep. And then he counted them and he noticed one was missing. So he put them in the field securely. And then he went out to look for the lost one. And when he found the lost one, he took her, the, the, that sheep back and cared for it and tended to it. And then he shared immediately another parable talking about a lady, a woman, who had ten silver coins and realized that he, she's lost one. She now only has nine, and she knew she lost it in the house. So she turns her house upside down and begins to search for this lost coin until she finds her, the, the coin. And when she finds the coin, she celebrates, tells her friends, and there's a party. And then he shares this third parable immediately after, which is known as the parable of the lost son. And it's also called the parable of the prodigal son. And in this parable, the father has two sons. And one of the sons went away to live his life indulging in his every desire. And this is the parable that we're focusing on this, this month. This is the story that we're drawing lessons for, be, from because I believe this story, this parable, connects to every human on earth. It connects to every single one of us. It doesn't matter your background. You might be a, a church person, someone who grew up in church, who was radically saved by grace. Or maybe, you know, you, you were saved as an adult, but, but you, you get it. You, you get church, you get the Bible, you get worship, you get prayer, you understand those things, and you even have a little bit of the church language. Words like holy, sanctified, demonic, satanic, hallelujah, glory to God, sin, highly favored of the Lord. You don't find them to be too weird. 
you, they, you've acclimated to those words, those old churchy words. Or maybe you're brand new at this. Maybe you're not a church person at all, you didn't grow up in this, and you find some things that Christians do a little bit strange. Like, why do we sing almost romantically and so, so kindly to the lamb who was slain? It's not a pretty picture if you don't know anything about it. Like a lamb being slain? That's sad. And we sing to it. It's quite cruel. Why is everything so Jesus-y? Why is always Jesus in the conversation? Is Jesus this and Jesus that? Why do we have to bathe all these principles that are good in religion? Why can't we just extract the principles and kind of leave the whole God and Jesus out of it? And just because the principles are good, and then you probably would gather more people, right? And that's why this is the story of all of us. It's a story that, that fits in everyone's life because if you think of God as an idea, which is okay, it's a good start to think of God as an idea, God becomes like the legs on a chair, for example, or the legs on a table. In your life, he is, he is the, the, the idea that sustains you. The idea that, that makes things sustainable and bearable. If God is an idea. And you begin to build your belief system on top of that. But if you, on the other hand, God is a person. Let's say a father with two sons who are different from one another, and a father who has to deal and respond to his son's proclivities and their desires and their deficiencies and their shortcomings and their sins, then God is no longer simply an idea. God is no longer simply this idea that holds you up and holds your system of beliefs. But God is somebody who you relate to if he's a person. God is something that you relate to. And when you relate to somebody, you either desire that person or you despise that person. He's either the focus of your worship or he's somebody you turn your back on. And what we learn in this parable is exactly that. It's the fact that we are either walking away from God or walking toward God. We are either doing one or the other. There's no way to be neutral when we look at this parable. There's no way to be daft. There's no way to be indifferent about God. If you try, you're still going to either be walking away from Him or walking toward Him. You might be walking away from Him not knowing that you're walking away from Him. Or in rare cases, you might be walking toward Him not knowing that you're walking toward Him. Because your soul desires him so. And that's why our first part in this series was our, about our urge to leave. We talked about that last week. Because at some point in our lives, we all wrestle with this part of us that wants to turn our back on God. There is a part in all of us that just wants to turn our back on God, on life, on our responsibilities, and just go away somewhere else and live it up right? With, with completely unattached. And the reality is that 
We all have things we want to walk away from. Even if God is not part of that list, we all have things we want to walk away from. And I don't know if you've ever thought about the things that you want to walk away from, but I can help you figure that out pretty quickly in 30 seconds or less. You want to find out how you, you will quickly go through that list? Here's how you do it. If tomorrow your bank account were credited, was credited with $100 million, what would you change? What would you let go of? How is your, how is your life going to be different? Are you going to change your friendships? Are you going to let go of your friends' jobs? Are you going to let go of your job, your habits? How about your routine? I had $100 million. I'd go into the gym every day. I'd be reading like a book a week. What would you change? And then here's another question. Would you be here next Sunday to thank God for it? Was that even in your list when I asked you, when I asked you the question? Was that, even, was that even a consideration? Would you do something for God first with your newfound wealth? Would you go all in in your faith, build God's kingdom, find ways to honor God with it? Or would you be found somewhere in the Bahamas or Greece or France? I'd be in Paris, J.D. Living it up. Letting all of the resistances and the boundaries, just some exotic place, just living it up. See, it's not about having to choose between the two. Um, whether you go somewhere to celebrate, celebrating is good. Enjoy the good of the land. That's good. As far as I'm, as I, as I'm concerned, and as far as these scriptures are concerned. But it's that, it's that small, pernicious idea and notion that, that comes to our mind that we are trapped. There's this small, pernicious idea that it's a seedling that gets sown into our minds that, that you are somehow trapped. That some of those changes that you just imagined can't happen now. It can only happen when you get some kind of resource. That you can't start making steps toward it right now. There's this small pernicious idea that's sown by the enemy, I believe, into our hearts. That everything in our lives, or many of the things at least in our lives, just happened to us. And that experiencing life to the fullest and discovering real life can happen apart from God. So long as we have enough resources... And we gain enough control of our lives, then we won't feel trapped anymore. Trapped anymore. Do you feel trapped this morning? Do you feel like like you're a casualty of your own life? Like if you, the, the person that you are today, existed in some other similar reality, your life would be better. But somehow it's like you're a casualty of your life and you feel trapped do you believe that this uncontrolled existence you are in is stealing the opportunity that you could have to live the way you wanted if you have more resources if you have if you had more money if you had more resources then you would be able to break free <laughs> 
to. Jesus is speaking to that deep, deep notion in our hearts. And he's trying to release us from this lie. And really this story agrees with many of Jesus' teachings. Between them is the one in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, where he says, No one can serve two masters. Because you either hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You're either going to love one and despise the other. That's why I said before that if God is a person, you're either going to desire him or despise him. Now, money is great. It's a great servant. My grandfather used to say, money is a great servant, but it is a horrible master. And it's true. Money is a great ser servant. It has, it's a great tool. In fact, Scripture says that money answers to every problem. But the moment you become the servant of the resources that you seek, the moment you desire it more than anything else, and you envelop your mind in this search, well, then we become like the prodigal son. That's really the life of the prodigal son, isn't it? And if you're not familiar with the story, let me up, up, get, catch you up to the part that we're going to focus on today. Uh, it starts with the father, like I said, who has two sons. And the younger son comes to the father and says, Dad, coming to me. The inheritance that I'm going to get when you die, I want it now. So let's pretend you're dead. And, and give me what is supposed to be mine. Because to me, it makes no difference whether you're here or not. So let me have it. And, 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 and he says, give me. Give me what's coming to me. Give me. Everybody say, give me. All right, we're coming back to this later. So the father acquiesces. He divides the inheritance between them. And the younger son, not many days later, Jesus says, just takes off. And he goes off with all the money. And Jesus says that he goes into a far country and squanders his wealth in prodigal living. Now, what does prodigal living mean? Let's just say he wasn't going to play bingo. Prodigal living means to just use all of your resources with no restraint, recklessly, and just, you're just going for it. And so this guy went out, and I mean, all the parties, all the women, all the alcohol. He was doing it all. He was just living it up until the money ran out. You wasted it all. On top of that, a famine came to the land he was in. <clears throat> and he was not prepared. So he ended up having to hire himself out to a farmer. And he was working hard. He, 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 he found himself feeding pigs. And he was desiring the food that he was feeding pigs, but nobody would give him anything, the scripture says. And so this is where we pick up in the story. When he was in that condition, in that situation... Luke chapter 15, verses 17 to 24. I'm reading from the NIV version. <clears throat> it says this. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. 
I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father did not let him finish. The father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and now is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And they began to celebrate. See, all three parables end with a celebration. It's a phenomenal story. Because in this, this story, this specific parable, Jesus answers so many questions. And one question that Jesus answers today, I want to highlight today, is where is God? Where is God? Here we have the many affirmations that people make, you know, and, and some of them are well-intended. And they're supposed to be motivational. But one of them is like, God is everywhere. God is everywhere. And there's some truth to that. But is God everywhere? I don't think so. And you might say, what, what are you saying, J.D.? Are you saying that God is not omnipresent? Well, yes, he is. He's omnipresent. But here's what I mean. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let the scriptures make the point that I want us to grasp today. We're going to go through like six scriptures right now. So let's look at Psalm uh, chapter 139, verses 7 and 8. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your present presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. Hebrews 4.13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must, to whom must, we must give an account. So it seems like I'm making the point that Jesus, that God is everywhere, right? It seems like I'm making the point that, that he is everywhere, that he was watching all of us. And it's true. It's right there in the scriptures. But here's what I mean by he's not everywhere. Not in this sense. Isaiah chapter 59 verses 1 and 2. Listen to this. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. He can. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Jeremiah, chapter 11, verses 13 and 14. You, Judah, have as many gods as you have towns. And the altars you have set up to burn incense to that shameful god Baal are as many as the streets of Jerusalem. 
Do not pray for these people or offer any plea or petition for them because I will not listen when they call to me in time of their distress. 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. He's saying that God is everywhere. Can take our minds off of the fact that saying that he is everywhere is not as important as knowing whether God is with me. Whether he's with me. Whether I'm living a life that is connected to God. So in these scriptures that we, that we learn, there are things that can happen in our lives, that we, choices that we can make that can put a separation between us and God. There are things that God can look at us and say, I can't be part of that. I want you out of it, but I can't be part of that. I want to be in relationship with you, but I can't be part of that. I love the scripture in 2 Chronicles. I grew up quoting it because it, there's so many things embedded in it that are so important. First, God says, if my people, that's identity. My people. We have to identify as the people of God first. See, I'm not a, uh, what are the criteria that kind of these days now? Um, Caucasian, German descent, Latin born, um, male, I don't know, heterosexual, married, Christian man. I'm a child of God. That's it. That's my identity. I'm a follower of Christ. And, and, and that is my one identity that shapes everything else. That's why for Christians, like, I know people in the world, it's difficult for them to understand. And a lot of them have good intentions in their heart because they want people to feel uh, uh, embraced. And, 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 and the reason why Christians have this ability to have all these other areas of your life and hold them so loosely is because once you have this one identity, everything else is up for grabs, and it's in God's hand. So if my people, who are called by my name, that's family, right? That means that if, if I'm God's, but if I, I'm called by the name of God, and you're called by God's name, we're family. I'm not alone. Will humble themselves. Humility, that's virtue. And pray and seek my face, that's relationship. And turn from their wicked ways, that's repentance. Then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. And that's redemption, restoration. The recipe is right there. We can quickly confuse God is everywhere with everything is godly. And that's not true. And so Jesus clarifies in this story with the uh, prodigal son that when our hearts turn away from God and when, our, when we on purpose walk away from God with our actions and our desires, God can't be there. He can't. I want you to notice because 
There are moments in our lives where God cannot be there. See, God has no obligation to be present where he did not send you. He has no obligation to be where he did not ordain for your life to be. God has no obligation to fulfill a plan he never made. And we can make our plans, but as the scripture says, man makes his plans, but the Lord determines his steps. But we can make our plans apart from God, and, and then we want God to bless it, and we want God to fulfill it. And then when it doesn't happen, we get frustrated, and we ask, where is God? Well, the plan wasn't his. If you find yourself asking and seizes in your life, where is God? You're probably not where he has called you to be. And this parable carries a, a significance because it's, the, it's out of the, the, the three parables. It is the one parable where the father waits. See, when the, when, the, when, the, when the sheep was lost, the shepherd went after it. When the coin was lost, the, the woman went after it. When the son turned his back and, and was lost, the father waited. Why? The father waited. He did not go after the son. He let the son go. He let the actions and the, and, 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 and the choices of the son run their course. And, and, and here's why. I have three lessons for you today. And I'm going to go through them quick. The first lesson is this. The father waits for you where you belong. See, the son, he decided to turn his back and go. And that's a picture of many of us. In fact, I think that that's a, that's a pretty good picture of atheism. Because I've been to uh, the Philippines, I've been to Africa, I've been to, I grew up in South America. And I've been exposed to a level of poverty that we don't see here. We talk about poor people in America. We, ha we haven't seen poverty. And it's, it's, I've, I've never seen atheism in poor areas. It, it, You've you got to have some resources to be able to say, eh, I don't need God. I can take care of myself. It's a dumb idea. And that's basically what the young son did. Ah, pff, the immature son did. I, I, don't, I don't need my father. Turn my back on him. In fact, there's 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 research that has been done. Once somebody's income, this is worldwide, okay. Once somebody's income surpasses twenty five thousand dollars a year, they care less about religion and God. Yeah, it's measurable. So we all have this tendency to turn our backs and not consider God, and leave God as our last resort, right? And there are instances in our lives where God will just... Now, it's different if, you're, if you need rescue and you don't know any better. Of course, He sent His Son to rescue us, to save us. 
But the Father waits for you where you belong. And here's how it happens. He invites you in. It's not like God is with his arms crossed going like, ah, let's see what he's going to do now. Let's see what she's, gonna, what she's up to. Oh, she thought that was going to work. No, that's not God's attitude. He's inviting you. He said, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Follow me. Seek me because I can be found. Turn to me. See, uh, uh, Paul writes in, in Corinthians that uh, oh, there's a veil that, that blinds those who are not in community with God. But one, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. There's something that happens when you turn to God. And that's why God invites us, hey, come to me because I can't be where you are right now. Come to me. The stuff that you're, that you're dealing with, the, the, the stuff that you're giving your heart to, I can't be there. Come to me. Turn to me and I will deliver you. Turn to me and I will restore you. Turn to me. Come to me and I will make you whole. Come to me and I will change your life. That was Jesus' invitation. Follow me. And so the second lesson is our part. We need to come to our senses. Like the prodigal son. That's repentance. Uh, scripture says that when he came to his senses, he said, My God, even the servants in my father's house have better than this. I just want to go be a servant. Now, I love the fact that when he repented, the father restored him. He put a ring on his finger. That means you're my heir again. All that you lost, you lost, but I'm restoring you to my family. And we're going to celebrate. And that's God's attitude toward us. And we have to understand, for our life to be complete, and you're here today, so you understand this, we need God. There's a lot of motivational uh, uh, encouragement in the world today, and they are aimed in, in good hearts. People, people, people mean well when they say this. I was even talking to somebody this week about this. People mean well. They look at you and say, you are enough. You are enough. Just believe that you are enough. Can I tell you? You're not enough. I'm not enough. And that's the lesson that we learned from, from this. If we're going to achieve what God has called us to achieve, if we're going to step into the, the, the life that he has for us, we need him. Amen. We need his strength. We need his faith. We need his power. We're not enough. And there's peace in that. Because it's not like we're lost. It's not like we're in a place where we don't know where we belong and we don't know how to be enough. He makes us enough. Amen. And his sufficiency, through his power, we become enough. And here's the third and last lesson that we learned from this parable. Right on time. Right on time. The third and, the third and, and, and last lesson is this. We mature when we go from give me to make me. And this is what, this was the journey of this young son. In the beginning, he was entitled. And I don't need you, Father. I'm enough. Just give me the money. 
give me, give me. And sometimes we begin our journey with God the same way, like the young son, immature in our, in our approach to God, thinking that all that we need is his resources, that all that we need is what God has to offer. So we come to a place like this, we bow our knees and we say, God, give me. Give me the job. Give me, God, the resources. Give me, and you will see. I'll make you proud. Give me, God. Give me. And he'll give it to us. And then the problem is gone. And we're nowhere to be found until we need him to give us again. And some people just go through that cycle in their spiritual life of coming to God, asking for what he has for us, and then, and then going to a land where everything gets lost. And God is calling us to grow like the young son from a place of give me to a heart that says, God, make me. Make me like you. Make me. And the son was saying, make me a servant. Make me like, like the least of the ones that you care for because the least of, ones you care, you, of the ones you care for is better than what I could ever make it happen on my own. But that's not how the Father sees you. The Father sees you as His child. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and pray, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Father, make me. Let that, let that be our prayer today. And let me encourage you to come to God like the prodigal son. After having learned your lessons, recognize that the Father is open to you. He's inviting you in. He waits for you where you belong. Secondly, that we got to come to our senses. There's a part for us. And thirdly, that as we mature in our spiritual journey, we're not just here to ask. We're here to be transformed. We're here to become like Him. To be filled with His love, with His grace, with His faith. Because we can only be enough when we are connected to the Father. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.